Welcome to The Big Picture, where we talk about micro markets as well as macro markets. Today, I have with me, of course, my co-host, David Brickell. David, how's it going? Yeah, and, good, man. And Joe Cruy. And I said that right, didn't I? Yeah. I've been... it's, like, it's like we're actually co-workers now, right? You <laughs> yeah. actually pronounce my it's name It's like correctly. we actually know each it's other. Only, it, it's, it's only been, what, two months? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joe, Joe, uh, Joe, when I first just saw you just now, I thought you were in a robe. You look like you're wearing a white I thought you've been on so many holidays. I thought yeah, we just, caught you at the spa. <laughs> God, yeah. Mel. Joe, Joe's at the spa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Must be nice. Um, and we also have with us two amazing guests um, from Amber Data. So actually, Greg, you've already been on the show, but could you give us you know, your brief background again for people who might not have seen the first one? Yeah, totally. So uh, my name is Greg Magadini. My background is as a proprietary trader. I've been trading for about 13 years. I got into crypto around 2013 uh, and then bought the top at $1,000 Bitcoin and wrote it all the way down. <laughs> Fun experience. Um, and then traded crypto kind of full time and started in 2015, 2016, and then uh, co-founded Gball in January 2020 with my co-founder, uh, Pat Doyle. Cool. Perfect. And Fabio? Yeah, I'm, I'm Fabio Bassani in Twitter, Gravity Sucks, uh, <laughs> an account <laughs> that uh, maybe you you know. And uh, I have background in economics and statistics, and uh, I always, always be being passionate about finance and trading. Even if uh, at my start in career, I, uh, I was in another sector. Uh, in 2013, with a friend, we, we bought our first uh, Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, my friend was a libertarian. I was libertarian. We studied a lot of the Austrian uh, uh, School of Economics. So we approached Bitcoin from that point of view. And later on, we were passionate about uh, trading options. And together, we started to trading at the uh, at the university, he, he he was working at the university at that at that time, and then uh, in 2019, I be I did the big leap. I I quit my corporate job. I became a full uh, full time trader in 2021. In 2021, yeah, I no 2020, I met uh, Anan Gomez. That introduced me also, also Greg, and uh, we started our collaboration since then. So um, I'm really happy and satisfied to be here after my life, not yeah. straight <laughs> to arrive here, but uh, happy to to be here. That that's amazing. That's amazing. That's so cool. I did, Joe, I, I didn't realize you were Gravity Sucks. Um, I, I replied to you earlier. Uh, you posted up the um, massive uh, Bitcoin structure um yeah. that that went through on paradigm earlier and, and i i yeah. yeah replied to you i didn't realize that was you there you go <laughs> wow I, I just i just learned that now too like we we had we had chat in like dms i thought this gravity sucks guy was just some you know some random dude that was active in the market i didn't know who was it i was talking to the to this person i had extensive conversations with already <laughs> i i was I, I was very private with my account, but now with uh, with Greg, uh, with uh, all the Amber Data staff, I I disclosure my my account, and uh, here we go. Yeah, I I so I think I've been talking to you since 
or I mean, we've kind of somewhat interacted since you started Gravity Sex because I'm I'm variant research on Twitter, so we've we've had interactions for a while. But so it's kind of uh, it's nice to meet you in person. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's kind of cool that way. Like crypto is cool that way. I've been at different like crypto events, and you meet people that you've talked to for years, but you just don't know because uh, exactly. everyone's kind of anonymous, you know, for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, I guess why we're here is because you guys wrote this report. And um, everyone's been really fascinated by it. Uh, Nand actually texted me right away and was like, "We gotta have, we gotta have Greg back on to talk about this report that they just put out." Um, so, Greg, I mean, I guess you could start us off probably and share your screen, walk us through this report, and kind of what you guys um, found out through this research. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to give a shout out to these other co-authors. So, uh, Tony Stewart, obviously, who does the Darebit Insights for Darebit. Tony's been an advisor for, I think, like 18 months now. He's been a total G. Uh, he's been great. Fabio and Tony are always like analyzing flow. We have this internal direction and they're, they're always auditing their flow together to make sure that our directions are properly tagged. So that's very cool. Samneet Chapal from Ledger Prime. He's been a, an OG contact since the early days of of Gball, and so it's been great to work with him. He did all the back tests for the back tested strategies here, and obviously the man who needs no introduction, which is Ewan Sinclair, who actually is my neighbor in Chicago. I had no idea until he became an advisor and he signed the paperwork, and I saw his address. I was like, "Oh man, we live like five minutes away from each other." So that's pretty cool. Um, and he's been super great, completely engaged, and, and huge help uh, as as an advisor. So this is the report that we did. So basically. Kind of broad overview. We have four years of data. We started collecting data in April 2019. So we have April 2019 all the way to the end of the year 2022. And we analyzed specifically just Bitcoin. Um, and the idea there is that customers can, everything's pre built in notebooks, can analyze uh, Ethereum pretty easy. But essentially, what we wanted to see are, are volatility regimes and, and ways to categorize all that stuff. So a lot of these uh, methods, actually, Fabio did a really good job kind of figuring stuff out. But I'm happy to just kind of jump any direction uh, that you guys want, or I'm happy to just kind of lead it. Yeah, I mean, no, maybe, I, maybe. I, I mean, I guess we could do it where, you know, I, I've read the, the report uh, extensively, and I, I thought there was a, a few charts that were, that were interesting. And um, maybe we can talk about those ones specifically, and then we can kind of have a discussion about them. Yeah, totally. Okay. Which one? Cool. So do you want me to just share my screen over you? Yeah. Hey, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll cut all this out. <laughs> you know, on, let me Greg, know. why don't you, can you give us like, um, kind of like a high level of the report before we like dig in, just give us like the, the main ideas, like give us the TLDR basically. Yeah, totally. Cool. Okay. So, uh, too long didn't read version of this report. Please read it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> too long didn't read. Okay. So one of the things that we want to touch on, so just looking at the table of contents here, so we wanted to really categorize volatility regimes. So one of the things that we wanted to look at, and this is very interesting for CryptoVol. So CryptoVol, in my opinion, hasn't been figured out yet. Sometimes it looks like equity vol, sometimes it looks like commodity vol. So one of the things uh, that we looked at in terms of regimes were a contango uh, term structure versus a backward-dated term structure. That's sort of the spine of the volatility surface, you could say. Then we want to look at the skew profile. So we, we look at the risk reversal skew. So pretty much the, the call, 25 delta call minus 25 delta put. So something that's really interesting there is that, you know, if you think of natural gas, natural gas just like explodes higher or no one cares about it. And so that's kind of like a call 
call risk reversal skew is positive. Um, and then equity, equity index especially is the opposite. You know, markets crash quickly, they rise slowly. There's a little bit of you know correlation impacts there in the index as well. Um, and so what we wanted to do there is we wanted to just kind of categorize, you know, how does Bitcoin trade? Is it trade like a commodity? Does it trade like uh like an equity? So we, we did a little bit of that. And so those are going to be the term structure, spot vol dynamics, the risk reversal skew. Another thing we wanted to look at is the variance risk premium. So what we did there is we could see, okay, are options overall cheap or are they overpriced? And then does it matter if we overlay different filters? So like is risk reversal or excuse me, the variance risk premium, is it expensive if we're in contango versus backwardated or if we're in a positive risk reversal environment versus a negative risk reversal environment? Or maybe if we layer the two and see, see what kind of differences there are there. So one of the charts that you'll see come up a lot, let me just give you an example, is going to be these box plot charts. So the idea here is we, we can see the middle line is going to be the median within the box. And then you have the interquartile, and then you sort of have the extremes. And so the idea there is you can get like a probability distribution of the observations or a distribution of the observations. So that's kind of like the high level. We did touch on a few things like the futures basis which was you know, very quiet in 2022. I know that Paradigm's like doing huge like leaps and bounds of to facilitate this type of trading, uh, which has been like an interesting like, vehicle to trade the, the future spreads. So that's gonna be really interesting. And then uh, we just touched on some volume and some open interest metrics as well, where we saw 2022 with a lot of block volume on Ethereum. So you know, Paradigm obviously, all the block volume goes through you guys. So that, that was like an, another interesting point that we wanted to kind of touch on. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Joe. All right. Uh, awesome. Yeah. I'll just, I'll share my screen and a lot of the things that you just mentioned where we're going to be talking about. So let me just do that quickly. Yeah. I guess, I guess just to, just to start out really, really like the piece, you know, I'd classify this. I, you know, I worked at Deutsche on their equity derivatives desk and you know, JP Morgan on their equity derivative desk and like, this is probably like the most comprehensive crypto volatility research that's currently on the market, you know, and certainly on par with, you know, the top derivative research pieces that I saw from the, that I've seen from the investment banks. So like kudos to you for for really starting to build this out. Um, but I guess two of the the vol parameter charts that really resonated with me was the new term structure richness chart that you guys recently released Amber Data. I think it was, you know, you released it like a couple couple weeks ago, or maybe this was the debut of it. So that chart, and then as well as, you know, the box plots that you were talking about, you know, the 25 Delta skew and how, how has that evolved since the crypto option markets really caught steam in 2019, you know, due to different regimes and spot vol correlation, right? So, you know, starting with the term structure richness chart, like, why should investors be looking at term structure rich richness when examining crypto of all markets? Like what, what was the thought process about like adding this, adding this new cool and sleek chart into, um, you know, the Amber data? Yeah, absolutely. So Fabi, Fabio, I'll loop you in on, on this because uh, this was a, this is something that Fabio and I devised and uh, we kind of went back yeah. and forth on some of the stuff we wanted to include. So maybe if you want to talk about sort of briefly the method methodology, yeah, maybe I can introduce the methodology of the richness of the term structure, and then we can uh, uh, 
uh, with Greg, uh, take an overview about the result. Basically, what uh, uh, Greg and me thought at the start of the report about the, the uh, quantitative measure of the of the term structure, because usually we know as a trader that uh, uh, a term structure is a backward, backward-dated or in contango because the front is upward or down downward uh, according to the, to the 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 end part of the of the of the term structure but we wanted to to measure quantitatively uh, um, the the slope of the term structure so we basically developed uh, uh, an easy method to calculate every different every difference across the term structure between maturities and then we calculate the, the average ratio. And the average ratio is the result of this chart. Basically, when we have values above one, meaning that the, the term structure, the overall, overall term structure is in backward dated, and the values under, below one, the overall, overall term structure is in contango. So it's mm -hmm. important to define a methodology just to measure and uh, because from that specific uh, methodology um, afterwards we calculate everything from the box plot according to the term structure of the back of backwardation of contango so it was an, uh, a very very interesting part with, with Greg to develop uh, this, uh, this approach because uh, I think it's quite uh, unique I think in a, in a crypto space, but I don't know, maybe in TradFi is something that is uh, uh, usual. I don't know. And um, uh, yeah, the result is pre it's pretty constant through the time series. So it's... Uh... Right. So, so just to summarize, you're effectively looking at the term structure and calculating the first derivative of the term structure at multiple points across the curve. Are you using a weighted average to do it just because you know at the front of the term structure you're gonna it's gonna exhibit more more steepness compared to the back where there is not going to be as much or are you guys just taking a, a mean average no a mean average but we calculated every um, combination across the maturity so I see. for example for example the seven days constant we compare it to the 30 days the 60 days the 90 days and the 180. We did the same with the 30 and so on. And so we averaged everything. And so basically it's quite weighted, even if the methodology is uh Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you effectively just have a matrix of the of these averages for, exactly. yeah, for each point. That makes sense. Cool. Well, on first glance, I mean, you look at this chart, right? Like what the heck's happening here, right? Like it, it seems like when I first, when, when you kind of first look at these charts, like, you know, dislocations, are a pretty pretty funny thing in in the vol world and when you look at it, it's like oh damn like this is a significant dislocation and it has to mean revert because every time it's gone down to this level it has in the past but like i don't know i guess like given the vol regime that we're in i this is kind of the behavior you would sort of expect right you know we're in a low, we've been in a lower volatility regime as of late especially in q4 when this data was was compiled as you can see in the chart. It doesn't it doesn't capture any of um, the Q1 data, but you know, absolute level of implieds are relatively low. Realized was even lower, 
right? You have the significant roll down effect, you know, similar to, you know, an equity vol that you'd have, but, you know, on the back end, there is still some of this expectation, you know, that, you know, you could have this potential large spot move just because of what happened throughout 2022. Like we had, you know, three black swan events and, you know, perhaps that's the reason, like even when, when the front end was trading in the, what, the thirties, right? You still had that back end still trading like in the sixties, right? So like, you know, given that low vol regime of Q4, I'd expect, I would expect the term structure to be, to be steep. Uh, but that being said, we, we have been seeing a lot of guys on Paradigm kind of been p- taking advantage of the steepness by selling a lot of these front end calendars and, and collecting this roll down. So like, would you, would you agree? Like, this is kind of like the behavior you would sort of expect in a vol regime like this. And, um, and, and I also think it would be interesting to kind of look at this. I think you do this at other, other points in the report, kind of looking at the steepness across different vol regimes, right? Like, because, you know, when vol is really low, you expect term structure to be steep when the when the absolute, when at the money implieds are high, you would expect them to be backwardated. So like, would you guys like look at like kind of normalizing it as well, similar to the, to how you guys have like normalized skew charts on Amber data? Yeah, that, that's a great point. So one of the things that we did is we we worked with ratios in order to account for that. So that was that was a, actually an advice tip from Yuen when he double checked our methods. But yeah, we couldn't just do absolute values because different vol regimes are going to are going to be way different. And so you don't want to have, you know, uh, a steepness that's affected by the overall level of the vol. So that's definitely something we kept in mind. Um, as far as kind of your broader point question, and Fabio, feel free if you want to jump in at any point. But if it, we're talking about sort of, you know, where we are and or where we were at the end of 2023. So one of the things that I always try to keep in mind, or one of my assumptions is that structurally, I think crypto vol has to go down in the long term. The asset becomes more efficient. The market caps grow. Uh, a lot of the surprises that, you know, oh, the government says it's not allowed. Now it says it says it's allowed. Those have less and less impact. The 10th time to do that or the 11th time. Uh, there's more adoption across the globe and stuff like that. So my base assumption is that we structurally will have less vol. Um, and so that's one point of it. The other point of it is when we're looking at steepness, I always think about this for anyone who's traded equity vol, VXX trading in 2017. Like that, the thing that decay from the roll down on the VIX cash versus the front month future and the second month future is so steep that that made that was like the best trade ever. Now, I we want I wanted to quantify something similar in crypto vol where we could see okay like where's the cost of carry in terms of vol roll down the most expensive, and if you're wrong like where does it peak at? And so those those were sort of the more interesting points in my opinion. Um, and obviously we we saw this in Q4 a lot. Like this, this was decades low vol yeah. in realized terms and really steep decay it, down down the structure. So that was something that was pretty interesting. Um, and obviously Q1 2023 is a is a is a big kind of different difference from from Q4 2022. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, th- that makes sense. And I guess we can leave we can leave the term structure and kind of just just moving on to the skew as you know someone that I wasn't active in this market you know back in 2019 or 2020. So it was, it was super interesting 
to see how this skew has evolved over time where like you said it's like okay it's kind of trading like you know skew is much more flat kind of like a commodity or like you know not gas but then you have a year like 2022 when you know the skew looks a lot more like equities like anecdotally i, I think you guys will will enjoy this i used to always wonder why Gval decided to calculate skew as calls minus puts <laughs> because when i entered this market i'm like i'm in 2022 i'm constantly looking at this negative number and it's like not intuitive like what why did they try decide to do calls minus puts no no offense but then i look at this data right and it becomes clear that in like 2021 all the most significant outliers in the skew have been in favor of the calls versus the puts right so now i see why you guys decide to decided to make that decision and it's really only was until this past year that the 25 delta puts traded at a premium you know compared to the calls and i think you mentioned in the report there was like a time when the 25 delta puts were trading the same vol as the at the money vol like that's insane Right. Exactly. It's insane to think about when you have years like 2022, when you have all these sort of events. And we've we've definitely seen some skew selling, you know, via BTC riskies to play for this reversion back to the, you know, 2022 regime of of puts over calls. But, you know, in BTC, the skew has kind of it's kind of been rather sticky as of late to start 2023. You know, is I think the calls are still trading a couple balls over over the puts. I mean, of course, it was, you know, at extremes a couple a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, I think it was the one month 25 Delta was trading like eight vols over or something like this. And now it's only two vols over. But you could argue that it's kind of a bullish sign for the market. Right. You know, it, it's very yeah. clear, you know, as we had mentioned, you know, from our previous episodes that, you know, our client base is significantly positioning for the rally. And we've really seen the significant upside realized vol as of late. So like what what sort of like skew regime? I know it's a loaded question. Like, are we kind of entering in, in 2020, um, 2023? Like in 2022, it traded like equities, but now you're seeing all this sort of like upside realized explosion, like like you guys mentioned, uh, you know, in that gas. Like, what, what do you guys think is gonna happen? Yeah, that that's a great point. So first off, I want to say kudos to David because he totally called. Decompression of yields, the macro picture easing, <laughs> like a massive rally. And here I am owning puts like an idiot. But that being said, <laughs> so a couple of things that I think are really, really interesting. So as far as like the, the as far as the skew goes, call minus put, that's been a hot button issue within the GVOL world. I always thought I was more <laughs> do, 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 do I have to say every day when I when I go on it, I, I just always flip it and it's just like oh let's, let's quickly change that. Even I don't know why I just find it easier to read the other way, but <laughs> yeah, I think everyone from the, the TradFi equity space like loves the put minus call, but I don't know from commodities, this looks this just makes more sense to me. But anyways, yeah. um so <clears throat> One of the things that's really interesting right now is that, okay, why is it trading positive now, especially in the long dated? Short dated skew can do whatever it wants because short dated can move any, like short term stuff can happen in any direction. If we're looking at six months skew, we're still trading a couple of balls to the call side, like a couple of balls positive. So to me, that's really interesting. And I think this is where there's a potential opportunity because I think there's a, a potential dislocation between implied and realized. So on the implied side, let's just say that, you know, miners have gone bankrupt or reduced their business. Uh, a lot of people who are just, you know, buy holding crypto and selling calls as passive income, you know, are maybe out of the market. DOVs have reduced volume, stuff like that. So there's an argument to be made that like the supply of call selling 
has come off the table and therefore the price of calls has gone up because there's just less less downward pressure from supply so there's that argument and then there's the argument of like well what's really going to happen with a realized spot spot vol regime has spot vol changed because the first month of 2023 has been bullish like that to me that's kind of a hard leap to make so one of the things that i think is really interesting is that if bitcoin and equities are highly correlated and equities has a kind of a negative risk reversal skew and bitcoin has a positive risk reversal skew well then you can just like mirror those those assets and trade risk reversals kind of against each other and that gets like a, a that's becomes really interesting so to me i don't know if this is sustainable like i don't know if we've we've completely switched from a negative spot vol regime to a positive spot vol regime six months out like I, i'm skeptical of that one month in like that that's cool like short dated stuff no opinion long dated stuff uh, i i kind of think like this is a fade but i don't know fabio how do you feel yeah but I was thinking about the early months of uh, of 2021 when we had that explosive upside um, positive spot vol correlation because the Bitcoin um, break the the previous all time height from uh, 16 to 30 in around 20 days, and. Uh, in that occasion, we had a short squeeze on, on ID with ID uh, reached on the core side, uh, extreme level. So uh, we have to look at the general picture of the of the last three four years, um, separating that uh, that first months of two thousand twenty one. In my opinion, because it was uh, uh, something anomalous, unusual. In um, of course. In, uh, in crypto, always have the positive cost queue because we had that parabolic move on the upside. So traders position itself for uh, with the calls. So uh, usually calls tends to be overpriced uh, against puts. But I agree with Greg that uh, structurally we we would have we will see uh, a different uh, uh, approach to the call. Uh, to the put call skew. And uh, I think the put uh, uh, overpriced over call will be the, the normal uh, the normal state of the of the of the option space. And um, it is difficult. It's difficult for trading that uh, entered that space in that years because uh, during the 2021 it was uh, very fun in trading options. Even if uh, the volatility was explosive, but it was funny trading option on that uh, period. And now we enter a new regime, maybe where big funds are trading differently, uh, are trading more nuanced, uh, the trading uh, with um, with blocks. We we saw a lot of of blocks with uh, futures leg, so meaning that it's a pure volatility trade, and. Um, this type of approach tends to be uh, more sophisticated, and uh, it will be more difficult for uh, for retail traders to to, to take advantage of the uh, such uh, extreme values in the in the EV structure. And um, that's it. But opportunities are there, and uh, we'll see if maybe if the, another parabolic move. <laughs> 
will occur in the next uh, two or three months. We, we will see again uh, calls uh, priced 20, 30 points uh, above, uh, above uh, puts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, it's something we're very curious about too, because it's really interesting. Whenever you see, start to see, and we touched on this on a previous podcast of like, you know, crypto, like spot vol reflexivity. And, you know, as soon as, soon as you know, the market starts to take off a little bit, we see guys just trying to pile into the calls and, and engineer this sort of rally, right? It was, so it was happening this, you know, the past couple of weeks where like, you know, we'd have a big, int- big spike up intraday, then every, then somebody comes in and tries to quote, like, and try to decide to lift like 500 of like one week, like call options to kind of like continue uh, that move and that positive feedback loop. So we'll see. I mean, I would love to see it. I mean, it'd be great for the industry to, you know, to, to get the spot back up to where it is and, you know, certainly make the crypto vol markets more exciting. So, yeah. It'd be interesting as well to look at it in terms of, um, to kind of look at where people's, like the distribution of people's uh, price targets are on, on crypto. Um, so like to think about where we are location-wise within that. Because I'd imagine like if you spoke to people now, you know, people tend to go, oh, you know, if we, we get another sell-off, macro changes, what have you, I don't know, 15, 14, 15K. Uh, whereas if, if you know, Fed start cutting rates and, and things materially change, then, I don't know, just just sticking numbers on it, 35, 40K by year end. And it's kind of like how that, the distribution of, of those sort of uh, views on where Bitcoin trades this year, like if you're obviously at the lower end of that, then, then the I guess the um, the chances that you start to see calls trade over puts within that location will, will be greater. Then obviously you start to move to the middle of that distribution. You start to get to like thirty k, and then you I, I'd imagine you'd see that flip back towards um, back to the put puts being over calls. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that could be quite interesting to look at as well. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure if Kathy Wood is still. Uh... You know, I think her <laughs> price target's still holding at 500K. Like, remember back, like, Q4 2021, when we were just ripping, like, you know, Bitcoin went through, like, 65K. Then just, like, everywhere you would just see, like, these crypto price targets, like, 200,000 by the end of the year, 500,000. Like, I hear you. But, like, I mean, this stuff is just so hard to predict, right? Like, the fundamental, like, analyzing the actual fundamentals of this, like, it kind of seems it's much more around, you know, supply demand imbalance and liquidity that, you know, drives the moves rather than, okay, like I'm actually going to, you know, do a fundamental equity analysis, like, D, like DCF or, you know, comparable. So it, it, it's just so, it's just so difficult to like, look at these price targets and like, be like, what are you basically, basically something really? But anyhow, that's my rant there. Um, okay. So I want to talk about this. The ETH open interest flipping. So, so you guys mentioned this, right? So in the lead up to the merge, right? It, we saw all this taker interest, right? We, you know, people were trading all these call flies, you know, ahead of the merge, really trying to position for this rally, right? There were like hundreds of thousands of contracts that were like attributed to just this like big December call fly position, right? It was like the December... Like, I think it was 2,500, 3,000, 3,500. There was like 100, don't quote me, but like 100, over 100,000 of these, you know, in the open interest. And then the March 3,500, 4,000, 4,500 were also, were also there, right? So like we did have this flippening, but a lot of it 
was kind of just attributed to these really wingy option plays that were ahead of the merge. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, what happened at the beginning of the year? Well, or at the end of the year, sorry, the December call fly rolled off the open interest. And then the March structure is going to do the same in a couple months. And what we've seen, you know, per that per that arrow is now the open interest has flipped again, but now it's actually in, in favor of Bitcoin, right? Like all the interest that that we've seen from takers in, in upside plays has mostly been, you know, in Bitcoin. Like there's been some in Ethereum, I'm not discounting that, but like very much more in favor of Bitcoin compared to, you know, Ethereum where it was just due largely to the presence of a significant um, catalyst, right? So, you know, do you think this is going to come back? Like my view is like this whole e-flippening thing, given it was just like all these like really wingy call call flies that really didn't even really represent much risk that was that drove the you know the ethereum open interest higher than bitcoin well those expired and then now bitcoin is leading again so like i'm curious what your guys's view on how that open interest might might play out in, in the future so so i think this is <laughs> this is fabio and i's favorite topic so fabio and i are similar in so many ways we almost have the same birthday as well but I'm an ETH maxi and he's a Bitcoin maxi and we love to just argue about that stuff. So I, I think we'll both have opinions here. I'm of the opinion, well, okay, kind of some for historical perspective. When I discovered Ethereum back in 2015, I literally sold all my Bitcoin for Ethereum to hold Ethereum. And I couldn't believe not everyone else in the world wasn't doing the same thing. So I'm like hardcore ETH maxi. And so my thinking is like, the crypto financial infrastructure, the crypto ecosystem, at the end of the day, is still being built on Ethereum. Like, think about all this the stablecoin growth and how important stablecoins are to the market. And like, I know Tron has some stablecoins, but forget Tron for a second. Most of it is built on Ethereum. And so, like, that's that's an infrastructure layer. Then, if we look at the total market cap of Ethereum plus all the ERC twenties built on top of it, like Ethereum's Ethereum's got a lot of you know a lot of presence in the total market cap of the crypto space. And then if we look at all the DeFi innovation, like the fact that Solana just, I mean, it's not disappeared, but like that was a pretty big hit with the FTX stuff. And like, you know, the Sam Bankman Freed is not a good look for Solana. And so to me, like, you know, ETH's number one killer basically died. And so like, we're back we're back to ETH. So I, I don't know, I think in a long-term from a structural perspective, I still think the flipping is happening is going to happen in terms of options, open interest, in terms of market caps, in terms of like the base layer of crypto. Um, but obviously that is just my opinion. Fabio, so, if you want to try. So great. This yeah. is great. This is, this is great. Clickbait, Greg. Thank you. Man. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so Greg, you're saying you, you think that ETH's um, market cap is going to flip Bitcoin's market cap at some point in the future. Yeah, I think so. So Fabio, I'd be interested to hear your your take and like why are you a Bitcoin maxi? I imagine it has something yeah. to do with your libertarian views, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go, <laughs> go ahead. This, the, the story starts uh, then. Yeah, I agree with Greg, uh, but only when uh, he called me a Bitcoin maxi. <laughs> I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, Ethereum also in that period pre-merge and uh, the since May uh, June twenty twenty two. Also, the, the structure that uh, uh, created that massive open interest uh, in, in Ethereum was not so um, 
let me say directionally, it was a, a very uh, uh, light structure in terms of option because most of them was, if you remember well, it was a butterfly. So you have those massive contracts to to gain small exposure in the Greeks and small delta, small vega, and, and so on. So basically, we have also to compare. Uh, that kind of a structure, we have uh, some matrix to compare that uh, uh, type of, uh, of, of structure we, have, we see on Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. Uh, one, for example, is the net delta of the open interest. We have it on the, on the platform. And, uh, and uh, this is one, uh, one of the reasons we saw that massive uh, uh, upside in the open interest in Ethereum. Of course, there was a lot of interest of the pre-merge. It was a nothing burger at the end, and so a little bit of the, the open interest deflate. But uh, it was uh, uh, a specific event that changed the trend because uh, I remember well, I looking at the, the volume, weekly volume between uh, Ethereum and, uh, and Bitcoin every weekly, every week, and uh, it's... Uh, from uh, the FTX collapse that uh, the, 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 the sh uh, happened the shift. So uh, it seems that in that occasion, uh, a lot of, of traction for, uh, for the Bitcoin uh, value proposition. So uh, no counterparty risk, uh, and not your keys, not your coin. So all the thematic of the maxis uh, Bitcoiners uh, gain some traction over that uh, uh, collapse. And uh, Ethereum, in my opinion, um, influenced negatively from uh, all the ecosystem. Is uh, is uh, Greg as right? Because uh, everything in crypto has built mainly above Ethereum, and uh, that event caused some shift, in my opinion, in the, in the in the fate about the the general decentralized. Uh, vision about uh, uh, what it's uh, under the Ethereum ecosystem and vision. So maybe these two aspects influenced the recent events. We constantly seen since then that uh, vol weekly volumes on Bitcoin are around 50% more than uh, Ethereum volumes. Um, nothing is changing at, at the moment. So it's quite difficult, uh, in my opinion, that uh, open interest uh, in, the short future, in the short term, I think in the next uh, six months, will flip uh, the, the open interest of Bitcoin. Because a lot of uh, structure will, uh, will have to, to, to expire in the next uh, March and June as well. A lot of structure was built in during the last June for the next June. So yeah, exactly, see, exactly. Uh, and these are structures that are not going to be rolled given given. Yeah, the exactly. So, the, yeah, like I, Yeah, so like I definitely agree with aspects of what both of you are saying. Like, not to be a middleman, but uh, you know, on, in terms of Weak. in terms of the short term, I think you know the open interest is going to be more in favor of Bitcoin, and you know that's certainly what we've seen already. But then over the long term, we're, yes, I agree with Greg. We're going to kind of have this fundamental shift. You know, this crypto lives on Ethereum, right? So I then I think we're eventually going to, you know, take off in favor of Ethereum. 
But I mean, what Fabio, you know, Fabio, what you were saying in terms of like the open interest, right? Like there's not, there wasn't much like actual risk out there, right? Like when you were looking back, like August and September, you look at like the open interest, like bell curve, if, if you will. And then all the open interest was concentrated like a hundred percent higher current spot levels, right? Exactly. Did you guys say that on Amber data? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You have like a risk adjusted open interest. Cause like, in my opinion, open interest wise, you kind of have to weight it by risk, right? Like a Ethereum March 4,000, 4,500 call doesn't mean like anything to me. Sure, like a contract's a contract, but is there anything on Amber Data where you guys are weighting the open interest by, you know, Delta or some other risk measure? We we do have a view that shows like outstanding net Delta across strikes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I get what you're saying. Like a package structure is like four times the contracts and like a tenth of the risk. So there's there's definitely something there that could be sort of uh, misleading from pure outright open interest, right? Just something, um, just, just to sort of weigh in, I guess from the macro on some of this. Um, what one of the things with list flipping with with um, Bitcoin open interest uh, flipping ETH again, I, I think that's kind of reflective of what's been driving this move um, to start the year, and and I think that's. Again, this kind of macro regime shift that I've been talking about. And Bitcoin's like the pure play on that, right? The pure play on monetary policy. And you're seeing it even with with, with Boomer Gold, right? Even that's performing pretty well to start the year. And I kind of feel that right now, that's the trade that's being played. It's this, um, you know, we're changing, we're changing into this environment of Fed hikes to now the pause and, and this kind of uh, changing monetary environment. Um, I kind of think that's that's why maybe Bitcoin's kind of uh, taken the sort of focus and, and where investors are looking to place risk. I think I think as as time goes on, again, timeframes is, is difficult. And like you say, we've got this stuff rolling off in March and and then June. But uh, but I think once we get a little bit more settled in that trend, then then we start to look at more like idiosyncratic factors with, within the crypto space. Um, obviously, we've got the Shanghai upgrade coming in March. Um, be interesting to see if people want to play that. But I kind of think even, uh, I mean, one of the charts I'm, I keep looking at is um, obviously the burn rate with Ethereum and, and going deflationary now. You know, where, where we start to then then start to play those stories and then the interest comes back in in, in Ethereum and start and, and open interest starts to pick up again um, as it becomes less of a, a monetary story. Now back to network effects and, and all these idiosyncratic stories focus around the crypto space. Yeah, it, it definitely seems to me that ETHOI is driven by crypto-specific events. Um, but but uh, the other thing I was going to say was, I you know, kind of off topic. I think we should have another podcast just between Fabio and Greg, and we have a debate on who like Bitcoin maximalism versus ETH Ethereum maximalism, <laughs> and we will fight it out to the death to see who's right. Um, but uh, Joe, do you want to move on to the next the next slide? I think we're yeah we're yeah sure time here. Um, yeah, this will this will be the last one. I'll skip over the BTC stuff. Um, cool. It's kind of more of the same story. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about systematic vol selling in crypto. Right. It it's yeah. certainly quite it's something that we still see quite a bit of on Paradigm, despite some major players in the systematic vol selling community kind of losing their shirts in in 2022 with you know everything that happened. But you know, that being said, I, I mean, David, you you can speak to this, but a lot of the prospecting conversations that 
I've been hearing from my seat is like, oh, okay, new systematic strangle seller or overwriter looking to sell, you know, a slug of Bitcoin options like every Friday. It, it like despite all these events that happened last year, it seems like a lot of like the prospecting conversations I'm hearing from David's team has been, you know, systematic vol sellers are still here. Mm. Yeah. Right. And like while these strategies, they, they certainly do back test well. But like at the same time, like, you know, I'm kind of uh, wary to, to trust, you know, the, the sort of involved selling back tests. Uh, you got to be able to, you know, stomach quite a bit of mark to market swings. And additionally, most of these strategies tend to be levered. So like things can go bad very, very, very quickly. And like we used to have guys that would come in and sell like one to three day BTC strangles, like in clips of like 500. Right. And they were doing this, you know, in the run up to Luna and safe to say those guys that were doing stuff like this are not hearing. Right. But that being said, when you do look at the vol risk premium, like in that report, I don't have it. I don't have it here, you know, kind of hovering in that 10 to 20 vol range. And, you know, granted, Bitcoin, it, it certainly exhibits more, you know, vol of vol and it's a higher vol asset. Um, but I, I can kind of see why people are interested you know, that being said, it certainly is a pretty dangerous if you're if it's not managed properly. Like we had we had Gordon on our podcast uh from last week's Gordon Grant from Genesis. And there's a quote that really resonated with me. He's like, Wall Street's an expensive place to find out who you are, while crypto vol is potentially a fatal place to find out. Right. <laughs> and like what what's your guys' like opinion on you know, systematic vol selling, is it going to continue to happen? Like, we, so this this uh, chart on the right, actually, from, from QVR, uh, Ben Eifert, if you, if you follow him on uh, on Twitter, and it really shows that, you know, since 1990s, that vol risk premium has significantly compressed, but in crypto, it really hasn't happened too, too much yet, kind of just looking looking at your chart. Like, you think we're going to continue to see the systematic vol selling, you think that VRP is going to compress over time? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Happy to just kind of take a stab at it. I think structurally it has to compress. So I I talked to when I talked to you in about this during our interview, I asked him, you know, is there an argument to be made that as market making gets automated, as the, the infrastructure around market making eases a lot, there's 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 kind of like a justification for like the the cost of labor of delta hedging and like the ease of of sort of uh, hedging your risk makes it cheaper or you could sell vol at a lower variance risk premium to essentially like still make money. If, if the, if you can market make on a hundred stocks versus two, uh, it takes a lot less people. Therefore you can undercut and so on and so forth. Just like an insurance business, essentially. I mean, state farm versus all state, all that stuff. So I think the nascence of crypto vol probably plays into that. So because this, there isn't the same infrastructure in crypto vol as there is in in equity vol. I think the variance risk premium will be bigger until more and more players come in and start squeezing it. I think that's by definition a structural assumption that's safe to make. As far as as far as this chart goes, like I don't know, selling straddle systematically is not a trade I would do. It, it feels a little bit like the day in the life of a turkey chart. It's like everything's great <laughs> yeah. until Thanksgiving, and he's in front of the steamroller. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so so I actually have a question kind of piggybacking off of that. Um, like for, for the people who don't like selling vault, are, 
will you guys eventually put together a report showing um you know returns of dynamically hedged long vol positions yeah that's that's interesting I, i'm not opposed to doing some of those back tests and, and I, i'm not against selling vol either but just yeah. not not <laughs> Well, Not kind of, kind of wouldn't it, wouldn't it just be this chart just kind of like flipped over the x-axis and then just be a, a, a long, a long painful drip down lower and lower. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> I, I could just say you guys, you guys have spent hours sort of doing that that report, and then Joe's guy, guy, let's just flip the chart, man. Yeah, just <laughs> exactly. Right. Just just add a negative a negative to um, the uh, y-axis, and you're good. Yeah. And heuristically, like Joe said, I saw, um, like I watched vol sellers close, close with a bunch of vol sellers over these last like couple of years. And it was, it was pretty painful for them. I mean, they had like massive swings up and down. Eventually most of them blew up, but, but yeah, um, interesting stuff for sure. Joe, do you have anything else you want to say as we're coming yeah, up to the I end mean, of our... it, coming from, you know, my trad five vol uh, vol seat, a thing I'm constantly thinking about is like, what, what is the evolution of the crypto vol market going to look like? And is it, is it going to, you know, mirror what has happened, uh, you know, in equity options and, and TradFi generally. And one thing I wonder about, and Fabio, you come from a TradFi background, right? Like as the crypto vol market, like gets more developed and, you know, and maybe like hedging risk via like, you know, QIS strategies, uh, you know, becomes more prevalent, right? So what I mean by that is like, you know, QIS being like systematic and quantitative strategies that are packaged in like a node or like total return swap format as like either yield enhancement, risk premia or hedging overlays, right? So like, for example, I used to do like QIS, some QIS business in my previous life. And we used to facilitate, you know, tail hedging strategies for, you know, systematic vol selling asset managers. Like, Oh, let's like overlay your systematic vol selling portfolio with delta hedge one by two, sell 30 delta by 10 deltas. And, you know, th the hope is that, you know, if we get a sell off, the, the money that you're going to make from your Vega exposure as you approach the 10 delta strike offsets the amount that you lose on your, your 30 delta and then the fixed strike balls on the downside move up. Right. So we, we were doing like trades like that and, you know, intraday trend strategies. Um, basically just as overlays for asset managers for, for these like sort of vol selling programs. Like I still think the market's a little bit too nascent, but you know, that OTC market is developing. And I would imagine that this is like, you know, these pre-packaged sort of strategies that you're seeing coming out of like, you know, sock gens really big in these, for example, or a BNP is eventually going to work its way into crypto for people that are systematically selling vol that are having difficulty managing some of that tail risk. Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Tough question. Sorry. What's the question? Like, if you think we're going to see, like, eventually more of kind of like the QIS stuff, you know, appear in crypto ball like i mean if we don't have if we don't have any like a good response for this we'll just cut out this part <laughs> yeah i mean to, to me i i kind of stick to the to your earlier statement like to me it's all part of like expanding infrastructure and like once there's more infrastructure there's more vol plays kind of touching earlier on the on the skew as well it's like once we have the return of people who are just doing the systematic selling even just a covered calls like that affected to me, that affects the skew. Um, I could see that have a 
have a big impact for sure. And I, and I think people will do those plays, but like, here's, here's a kind of another interesting point is that everyone in equity world has infrastructure built around stocks and stuff like that. There isn't good, like fall venues in traditional finance for Bitcoin, except Beto or CME, but even that. So it's like, we don't even have a way to translate. Like we don't have a, a highway from people who do this traditionally into crypto vol yet we don't have a real yeah. highway yeah yeah and and, and you kind it. of think like everything in crypto right is you know we kind of you know reflecting some of the evolutionary cycles we saw in TradFi, um but just that like moldy speed in in the crypto world so i guess to your question joe like yeah you kind of think as as more as more kind of experienced guys you know from the tradfi world come into the space that that those products will will naturally start to evolve and, and probably a lot more quickly than than they did like in the tradfi space and, and and one of the other comments i guess i want to make is like like what i love about this report is you know th th there's still so much education going on i i talk to to funds that you know um are interested in the space don't quite understand it we we, we laughed uh, last week about you know you still get questions you know are these things trading 10 vols wide and it's like <laughs> no you know the, you can get stuff done in these these markets and i think the more we have reports like this that start to to kind of help educate and and bring that understanding about you know how these markets trade then you're just gonna it's just gonna add to the adoption and, and and the interest and people coming into the space which then adds to the the drive to to get the infrastructure and and then the products and that will follow as well so like, like kudos guys for for doing stuff like this is great yeah thanks exactly thanks cool yeah okay so um either fabio or greg do you have any final thoughts you want to say about this the report uh, as far as the report goes, uh, our plan is to release a, a few of these a year. So we'll have one every quarter, essentially. Um, and, and then kind of just a brief thought for customers of ours, like Fabio has taken the time to to build all these in Python notebooks that will be available to, to customers and they can do their own tweaks or pass a different symbol, ETH in this case, or, um, you know, instead of writing something from scratch, they can take existing analysis and, and tweak some parameters. So that we we try to make it so it's easy for for practitioners to to use this data right away. Cool, cool. Um, well, I, I want to echo um, David's sentiment and say thank you for you know building this stuff out, like offering this research to people for free. I mean, I think it's very valuable to a lot of people. So, um, really cool work you guys are doing. And again, thank you for coming on the show. I think we'll just cut it off here. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, <laughs> guys. Really thank you.